0: In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, that many of you have read by now, Rick Warren relates the story of a church growth consultant friend of his, Wynne Arne, who once did a survey of over a thousand churches, and he asked them this question, why does the church exist? He said, of the church members surveyed, 89% of them said the church's purpose is to take care of my families and my needs. For many, he said, the role of the pastor is simply to keep the sheep who are already in the pen happy and not lose too many of them. Only 11% said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. Now, some might quibble and say, well, that's not really the purpose. After all, worship, which is what we've been doing, is the highest purpose for which we've been made. And that's true. But this Jesus whom we claim to be called to worship is the one who said, go into all the world proclaiming the gospel, beginning right here where you are. Take, Take the light as we've been seen and acted for us and sung in a few moments. Now, I don't know what uh, statistics would look like in our own church. Uh, I think far more than 11% would place a significant value on the call to proclaim the gospel right here into the nations of the world. But to make sure that it stays that way, and even to increase that commitment, for the next three weekends, we're going to be focusing on this call to evangelism. Now, If you say, well, why at this time? Uh, it's going to take a whole sermon, actually, to answer that question this morning, because it's really setting us up for a whole year that's coming. And so bear with me and you'll get the answer to the question why. But, for, but to begin with, I want to go back to Colossians. But when we preached through the book of Colossians, there were two verses that I didn't say anything about. Nobody said anything to me, but perhaps some of you noticed. But we're going to go back to them now. Paul writing in Colossians 4 verses 3 to 7 says this. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Those two verses refer to to the global dimension of evangelism. Paul is calling the Colossian church to be partners with him in opening new doors for the gospel in places that have not heard the good news anymore. We We normally refer to that as missions. But then in verse 5, he changes gears. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, meaning those who are not believers yet, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. All of a sudden, he comes banged down to their local evangelism right where they are. And then in chapter verse 7, he goes back to the global one. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul does not artificially make a division between overseas missions and local evangelism. That was the tension that actually emerged fairly early in our Imagine campaign. And those of you who heard Jenny Leslie's testimony will remember her even referring to that. And and this concern that, that this... Imagine campaign and a significant focus on the local dimensions of outreach will somehow weaken our commitment to the Great Commission. The Apostle Paul's answer to that is not to pit one against the other, but to clearly call for a both and. Even as he's inviting the Colossians to partner with him to open new doors, he's saying, don't forget how to relate to those outsiders who are right in your midst so that you can make the most of every opportunity. In other words, it's not a casual thing. It has to be as urgent. So that's the first implication I see from these verses. That those of us, and we trust all of us, are called to participate with our international workers. And even last week, Wayne and Catherine Cassidy were sharing with us. Either through closed doors that we want to open or partially open doors. Even as we are partnering in prayer and fellowship and giving and encouragement. We are to be equally passionate about the lost who are immediate in our surroundings. In our neighborhoods and our places of work. Now the second thing Paul says here. Is make the most of every opportunity. Interesting little phrase. That word opportunity. Is the word that I've often referred to. During our Imagine campaign. Which is Kairos. It refers not to quantity of time. But to specific seasons in the life of an individual. In the life of a church. Where God is doing something special. And and as for the. Simple word, make. It's an interesting word in the original language. It is the same word that elsewhere in the Bible is used for testament or covenant. Now, what do we do when we write a last will and testament? We make provisions for the disposition of our resources. Paul combines those two things together. Making the most of every opportunity. In other words, what he's saying is, even as you are participating with me in the global dimensions of the, of the missionary calling, Dispose of your assets, money, energy, time, whatever they may be, in such a way as to maximize the potential that lies in any particular season right where you are as well. Now those seasons can refer to a single conversation, it can refer to a week, it can refer to an Advent season. But I want to actually step back for a few moments today. Because as I put this message together, I saw something that I hadn't seen before. I want to step back and look at not one or two years, but I want to look with me at a 27-year period in what's been happening in the life of our church to get some sense of what season we are in right now. From about 1978 till about 1997, for those 19 years as I look back, it was God's season for oh, out there evangelism, to up the ante on global missions in our church. In 1978, our first missionary, Sandy Scott, went to Mali. And then, in rapid succession after that, in 1981 and 82, Dan Ingram went to Ecuador, Bev Shelrood went to the Philippines, Bruce and Donna Edwards went to Zaire, and uh, Dave and Nadine Brandon went to Indonesia. And along with that, our involvement kept increasing. In 1983, you sent me for my first overseas missions uh, ministry in Lima, Peru. And then in 1986, to uh, Indonesia. And then in 1987, I began to do a lot of reading on the world Christian literature. And so in 1988, some of you remember, I preached my first series of 12 messages on becoming a world Christian church. Uh, and my first book came out of that. We formed the world Christian team in 1988. And then in 1989, the elders of this church released me for up to 12 weeks a year to be involved in my brother-in-law Ravi's organization. That that took me to to South America, to South Africa, to Poland, to England, to Thailand, uh, and India. And I came back and would bring you reports on those things. Then in 1992, late 1992 and early 1993, two two unplanned events happened where I was exposed to not only the preaching of David Bryan, but actually participated when he led us in a concert of prayer. That's where I learned to lead concerts of prayer. And then two months later, I was in Calgary, arriving one week, one day early by mistake, and I heard a man named George Otis speak about the 1040 window. And I brought both of those things back to this church, and we have never looked back as far as praying for the 1040 window is concerned. And then in 1997, we adopted Turkey as our adopted people group. In the meantime, God continued to send waves of workers from here. The McLeans went and uh, Susan Perry went and uh, Jan Hayes went. And the Bradleys went to Turkey. So from 1978 to 1997, it was, uh, everything else went on as well. But it was a Kairos moment, which was two decades long for global evangelism. During that time, nothing much was really happening as far as local evangelism was concerned. Yeah, there were sporadic attempts here and there, but nothing concentrated. Well, that began to change in 1997. As you know, Pastor Downey retired and I took over as senior pastor. We had other staff leaving. We were basically only three staff for six months, Wayne, Cheryl and myself. And then Pastor Andre joined us in July and Stephen Heathcock joined us in August. At that time, we were grappling with who our next staff member needed to be. And so in October, I think it was, or early October, uh, I took the five staff down to Willow Creek for our first church growth conference. there. And when I saw, and I'm not an evangelist, being this isn't Sam standing up, here's me, I'm not an evangelist. My primary gifts and passions are aimed at working with church people to build them up, not to reach the lost necessarily. But my heart was deeply stirred when I saw the power of a focused vision on lost people right here. And so as every night we as staff would gather together and talk, there was this growing conviction among us that that's where the next staff member needed to come. And in October at our annual leadership retreat, I shared that. And as they went through a similar kind of decision making process like we did yesterday on a different issue unanimously, 36 people came to the conclusion that that's what we needed. And we drafted a job description for this person right at that retreat. Some of you remember, you were there. And we said this person needs to do three things. They need to personally practice personal evangelism. They need to be able to identify and train the evangelists in our congregation. And they need to build a presence for Rexdale in this community, not by gimmicks and advertising, but by serving the community. In December of that year, two months later, now of course we had to find this person. Okay, I had no idea where or how. In December of that year, I, I made a very foolish decision to accept a speaking engagement, not because it wasn't un, un, uh, unimportant, but I shouldn't have done it at the time. Because what it required was for me to leave here on a Sunday evening, fly to Calgary, which was a four and a half, four-hour flight, drive for an hour and forty-five from from there to the Three Rivers, preach for forty-five minutes to a bunch of university students on becoming world Christians drive back to Calgary airport for an hour and 45 minutes, sleep overnight at a hotel at the airport for about five hours and catch a morning flight back to Toronto. It took me one week to recover from that. But what I did was stupid. God had other plans. Because you see, the person who drove me from Calgary to Three Rivers wasn't available to drive me back. And they said, here's this young fellow who's going to take you. Just jump into the taxi with him. Okay. Oh, in the car. So he did. And he used to work for that organization that convened this conference. And he would ask me to come and speak. And so, I started talking to him. I said, so, how long have you been here in this organization? Do you like it? He said, no, I don't like it. I said, why not? And he talked to me about how these were not... He just wasn't interested in doing all the things he was required to do. I said, what do you like doing? He said, I love to lead lost people to Christ. and I love to train other people to lead them to Christ. I said, send me your resume. <laughs> and he did, and we hired him. His name was Sam Aragonus. That's how God led me to that man. And since Sam has come here, you know the things that have happened. Very quickly, Sam introduced us to Fran, friends, relatives, neighbors, associates, and now for every September, we have that. And then whenever Sam can, he shoehorns in another Fran service every now and then. And then our Christmas banquets, which until that time used to be totally inward focused events with small groups huddling together in personal, private, comfortable little communities it was all exploded outwards. So now we have two banquets and half, 30 to 40 percent of the people who come there are your unchurched friends. And then when Sam was prayer walking the neighborhood, he, he saw this community loved garage sales. Out of that came this idea for fair. That not only generates money for NeighborLink, but is our first contact with many people in the community. And then we started Alpha, and right now our 13th Alpha is going. We haven't looked back from there. And many people have come to Christ through that. And then God sent Esther and Cheryl. And through their passion, we've been focusing on the South Asian community here. And Pastor Sam coordinates that ministry as he supervises them. And then our partnership with Youth Unlimited, Vidya, Scott Wheels, now Nick Hill, in the drop-in ministries. And then NeighborLink with Don Dearlove's passion. I want to look back, and I thought, and all of this time, by the way, our commitment to global missions hasn't suffered one bit. But it was in a different season. And for 19 years, our Kairos moment was global evangelism. Now, for the last eight years, it's been local evangelism, without the other one suffering. No wonder God led us to Kairos at a time like this, to take us further in that process. And so He says, seize the opportunity, make the, moment, make the most. Arrange, dispose of your assets, money, energy, time, resources, passion to seize the opportunity right here. Now buildings by themselves aren't going to do the work. Look around, you look at the empty chairs here. We have a nice, full service. Many congregations will be happy if they had one service like this. We have three full services. But look at the empty table chairs. And there are more today than there were last week. Because people have gone to Vaughan. And as Alan said, they're not coming back. Why do you think God gave us all these empty seats? Last, week, last year I was listening to a sermon by E.V. Hill. Who's a, both a bishop and a pastor of one of the large Afro-American denominations south of the border. And he said this. He said he will give you no more empty seats than he intends to fill with lost men and women. But it's not going to happen just because there are empty seats. It's going to require you and me and an entire congregation to begin to get our attitudes in line with what Paul is saying to the Colossians. And say, make the most of every opportunity. Seize the opportunity in your dialogue with outsiders all around you. University campuses, workplaces, neighborhoods, families, friends, associates. And so it's an appropriate time to up the ante on that one of our core values, which is lost people matter to God and matters to us. John Piper says this, he says, from time to time in the life of a church there needs to be a wake up call to some simple and central basic things. One of these is this. Christianity is a converting religion. It is evangelistic. It is persuasive. It is expansive and missionary. It is not coercive. It does not use the sword, manipulation or brainwashing. But it does proclaim and persuade and plead and pray. And where this is not believed and practiced, Christianity ceases to be Christianity and starts to become another religion with another king who no longer says, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. When we lose a passion to see people won over to Jesus, we lose Jesus. And he finishes with this paragraph that's about as powerful as any that I've read. Christianity is a soul winning, outreaching, mind persuading, heart entreating, rescuing missionary faith or it is not true Christianity. We need to be reminded of this, because it is almost incredible how listless we can become while calling ourselves Christians. Little by little, our whole orientation can become inward. We can go for months and years and not think about those who perish. We become so dull and spiritually callous that we don't even ask if we believe in hell or lostness or the preciousness of Christ and the power of the cross and the freeness of the gospel and the command of Jesus. And then this sentence. We just go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there is nothing left but a smooth running program. God forbid and that anything like that happens in this church. We're not there. We don't want to go anywhere close to that place. And so th- this, is, this is a season, not just these three sermons. What began in my mind as three sermons has been fleshed out by God. You see, for months I've known that Vaughn is leaving, and so I've been thinking about where do, you, what messages do I start preaching immediately after they've gone. And for a while he's been speaking to me about this whole issue of empty chairs and evangelism. Because when T.D. Jake said that a year ago, it lodged in my heart. I was just waiting for the right time. But God's been showing us that it's far more than just three sermons. By the way, next week you're going to hear John McCauley. John McCauley is the executive director of uh, um, Muskoka Woods. Total commitment is to reach teenagers for Christ. He is a Welshman, you know, Irishman, sorry. So even his accent will captivate you. But he's an absolutely unbelievable communicator. And he's going to take the second message and preach as only an evangelist can. You know. I'm just doing my job as a teacher. And I'll come back after that to pick up my job as a teacher again. So, so at staff meeting, I shared this. And of course, Pastor Sam is always ready to seize the opportunity. He says, you know what, three sermons aren't enough. He said, I said, what do you mean? He said, we've got Christmas coming after that. What an opportunity to seize!" So we had to cancel our... I had other things planned to preach. So we canceled that. And we reworked our four Advent plans for Christmas. To make them into friend services. Meaning they will, they will still be celebrating Christmas, but they will be well suited. The services will be tailored for you to be able to bring your friends and relatives and associates. So they can begin to hear. And by the way, last night someone hearing the message sent me an email this morning saying, after your sermon last night, I had a chance to talk to my business associate and invited one of them to Fran and to my surprise, he's coming. And then as we continued thinking about what else we had already planned, I had other ideas for preaching in the new year and we saw how beautifully God had already put those pieces into place. And so we're actually going into a whole extended year season of learning to make the most of every opportunity. In this church. And by the way, during Advent time, uh, the uh, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, C.S. Lewis's first of his Narnia series, is going to be made into a movie and released around that time. And we're going to be preparing some information for you that you can invite your friends to go see that movie and then some how you can start a spiritual conversation after that. We want to do everything we can to equip you to seize the moment because we believe it's God's season here. Not only on a big picture of 25 years, but right now over the next year as well. But let me just bring it down to what we can do immediately. Okay? What, what are some specific next steps you can take? It's good to see what God's been doing over a 25 years span. That's what tells us we are in Kairos season. But then we have to have some next steps. Where do we go from here? Uh, first of all, I encourage you to pick up the study guide. This week's study guide is basically written to do a little check in our own hearts. To check the evangelistic temperature. No, we're not all evangelists. Don't worry about that. I'm not. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about how all the various gifts can fit into that. But all of us are called. Paul didn't write just to the evangelists in Colossae. He wrote to everybody in that church and said, make the most of every opportunity. So pick up the study guide and think about it for a while. And then secondly, sign up for class. I've been telling you for the last two, three weeks uh, to, to sign up for class. But this time I want to talk about its relationship to evangelism. Class, for those of you who may just be visiting us today, is an acronym for Christian Life and Service Seminars. We have five of them that we offer usually three times every year. They're just on one Sunday from 3 o'clock till 7 o'clock. Each class just lasts for that four hours. Uh, And the picture of a baseball diamond simply enables you to think about it clearly. But I want to talk about how uh, some of these bases, while they are separate to help us think about them more clearly. They're all interdependent as well. And many of them are very great first steps to take to prepare ourselves to do this work of evangelism. First base, for example. One of the things we put in first base there is a 45-minute presentation of what the gospel is all about. I'll take you from Genesis all the way through to Revelation in 45 minutes. What is the heart of the gospel? And we put it there for two reasons. Some of you who start, everybody starts this class journey on first base. Some of you have been coming to church for some weeks, months, maybe years, maybe all your life because you were born in a Christian church. You enjoy the worship services here. You like the sermons, or at least most of the time you like the sermons. But you haven't yet come to that point in your life when people begin to talk about knowing Christ personally. When some of the songs talk about our personal relationship with him, you're not quite sure what that is all about. Well, first base will give you a good understanding of what that is. So if you're on that point in your spiritual journey, sign up for first base. And if you already know Christ as your Savior and Lord, first base is a great place to come because that 45-minute presentation will give you an excellent framework that you can then use. Because Paul says, be wise in the way you communicate. It's not going to help you answer every question that's going to come at you, but it's certainly going to give you a good basic framework that you can then use and model. Because you know how many Christians get tongue-tied when we tell them, hey, so-and-so wants to know about Christ, tell them, huh, what do I say? You know, like Jackie Gleason used to go, hamana, hummina, hummina, you know? That's what happens to us when we have to talk about Christ. Well, you don't need to do that. First base will give you a basic framework. So, sign up, folks, if you haven't. Get started. And then, fourth base, which is, of course, Focusing on missions and evangelism has some additional things. It builds upon the foundation of first base. Pastor Sam covers things like when it comes to sharing the message. How do you develop your own testimony? Telling people the story of how you began a relationship with Christ. The good news, explaining how to accept Christ. That's what evangelism is all about. Proclaiming the gospel. Communication tips, how to share Christ more effectively. And then he will talk to you about fishing in your own mission pond. We just sang a few moments ago, to the ends of the earth I'm willing to go. You know what, you don't need to go there first. How about starting right where you are? You know, then we'll worry about the ends of the earth uh, for you. you know, others have been called very clearly. By the way, no one does a good job out there who hasn't been doing the same thing out here. You don't suddenly become a flaming evangelist on the Silk Road with no concern for the last people here at all. So it's a great place to start anyway. He'll talk about five keys to spiritual fishing you'll get some understanding of how people come to Christ and how to build a bridge of friendship. It's all part of being wise in the way you relate to outsiders. So, 120 people are eligible to sign up for 4th base and I counted last night, only 60 of you have signed up. You finished 1st, 2nd and 3rd base. Don't miss this opportunity. Sign up for 4th base. And by the way, if you've already taken 4th base about a year ago and you want a refresher on this, that's also part of getting connected. You can come, you can take any class at any time you want. But if you haven't gone through the loop, don't jump the classes. And then how about fifth base on worship? How is that related to evangelism? There's at least two ways in which that is related to evangelism. You see, while lostness of men and women and their need for Christ is significant, that is not the ultimate motivation for evangelism. There is a motive greater than the lostness of men and women, and that is the glory of God in saving lost men and women. God saves people. Why? The Bible tells us in Ephesians that in eternity, to the principalities and powers, he can demonstrate the greatness of his power and the riches of his grace and his manifold wisdom. So Thessalonians that I'm reading in these days, if you're reading the one-year Bible, you're reading it too. It says when Jesus comes back again, what does he come back again? To be marveled at among those who believe. It's all about Jesus and his glory. So worship provides the ultimate and enduring fuel for evangelism. Piper puts it this way in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He talks about missions where it applies to evangelism. When the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth, the light of missions will shine to the most remote peoples on earth. And by the way, if it's going to shine far out there, it's probably shining brightest at home. Where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and the beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare his glory among the nations or even among the neighborhood. Even outsiders feel the disparity between the boldness of our claims and the blandness of our engagement with God. That last sentence gives us a second reason why worship is related to evangelism. Not only does it fuel our evangelism because of our passion for Christ. It itself evangelizes. Worship itself is a means of evangelism. See, today people who are coming to church, they aren't coming just for intellectual input. They want an encounter with God. They want to be in touch with this person. They want a God who speaks to them. A God who can be experienced. And when you and I, who are already believers, when we come to a worship service like this, and we engage God in worship with all of our hearts, uh, whether that is shown outside or not, is beside the point. External actions don't always necessarily mean you're passionately worshiping God. You can be deeply passionate and, and be standing still. You can be waving your arms all over the place and have no connection with the glory of God. But you will know in your heart. If you engage with all of your heart. God is present in the midst of a corporately worshipping people. In a way that he's not. And unchurched people in the midst of that will go away saying. I have got to come back to this place. You haven't said a word but you've evangelized already. Not only that. When they see. When an unchurched person sees you. Wholeheartedly worshipping Christ. They are likely to perhaps think for the first time. Hey. Hey. There may be something more to life than the things that I'm looking for. I remember one occasion where Sham was involved in a Bible study group with mostly unchurched women. A couple of them came to church once. It was many years ago when Miles Valley was still with us. And Miles, you know, those of you who know Miles, know he's just totally abandoned in his worship and his expression. Well, Miles was standing right in front of one of these ladies. And it's usually not the kind of thing that's calculated to evangelize, right? We think it puts people off. But that lady turned to her neighbor and said, I want what that guy has. So, eva- worship both provides fuel for evangelism and directly evangelizes because of the presence of Christ. So, for all of those reasons, we encourage you to sign up for wherever you are on this uh, class journey. Thirdly, pray for those you can invite to the Advent services, November 27th to December 18th. Pastor Sam tells me that this year's Alpha is one of the best That they've seen because this year they specifically incorporated prayer. You might remember during the uh, testimony time they invited people to drop names of individuals that they are praying about, and even right during the Alpha meetings there are people who are praying. And so we'd encourage you already, knowing where we are headed, knowing that we are in Kairos season, knowing that these Advent services are going to be well tailored for you to bring your friends. Start thinking about who are my friends, who are my relatives, who are my associates. As I said last night. One of the guys sent me an email saying, oh, I invited this guy. didn't think he'd come. He's very interested. He's going to come. So you might have people. Remember, God's God's got his heart on people who are going to be sitting in these chairs. I'm not even going to be able to get close to these people. But you live with them. You live next to them. You work with them. And so begin to pray. Ask the Lord Jesus to put his heart. Ask him to reveal his heart to you so that you will know which ones to speak to. So begin praying for them. And then, by the way, um, an immediately practical one, the Power Kids, our children's ministry, Harvest Party, which is a Halloween alternative. Do you know we are discovering that there are people in this neighborhood who are not believers who would rather bring their children to this church on Halloween night? It's a, it has become a great opportunity to connect with unchurched people. And so, uh, last week you saw this insert. All kinds of practical happening. We want people to run games, fill loot bags, look after registration, meet the visitors. Great place to become a fishing pond. Lay pastors might want to hang around to see who they can invite to their small groups. So, in many, many practical ways, you can begin to step up. As I said, in the weeks to come, we'll be building, building, building on this. But we want to get you started. I trust that this big picture has given you some sense of where we are at. Why God is doing the things he's doing in our midst. So, even as we relentlessly maintain our commitment to the Great Commission overseas, we have to heed what the Apostle Paul says. Be wise Right where you are, seize the moment. Make the most of every opportunity. May those two things be true of you. May you, first of all, be sustained by this vision of where all history is moving towards. When all Kairos moments will be wrapped up into that grandest one of all. When we see Jesus face to face in all of his glory. And in the meantime, from now till then, may you truly be captured by his holy calling. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.